0: Hey yo, welcome to the winners' circle. Polish your crown, here to optimize your workflow. That service now, this ain't your typical run-of-the-mill tech talk OGs. Oh we're the best in the field. We'll help you level up and build your credibility. Now let me ask you one question, who the realest be? Unapologetic, if we said it, then we meant it. Foundation build on trust, authentic, so it's cemented. Better make way, only facts in the booth. You're now tuned in with CJ and the Duke. Uh, what success? I'll let you in on the scoop. Make your mind your best friend and fill it up with the truth. Hey Come everyone,
1: on. welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric.
2: And I am Corey CJ Wesley.
1: This episode is brought to you by Clear Sky. ClearSky is the only identity, governance, and security solution built natively on ServiceNow. It optimizes enterprise identity and risk management with a platform-first approach. Look, we have built a great digital world where we can plug and play people into our applications and information globally. Great for speedy operations, but can be a real nightmare for risk and security and governance who are left asking, who has access to what? Who authorized that? Should they still have it? When's the last time we checked? This is why CJ and the Duke love ClearSky, all of the benefit of a company with decades worth of ILM and IGA experience with a solution that's built natively on ServiceNow, the platform that we all trust. ClearSky, optimized identity management built natively on ServiceNow. Check the description below for an episode CJ and I did on ClearSky, as well as how to contact them. Spoiler
3: alert, we are live now. Who, who's, who's ready? We <laughs> well, she,
1: she blew the punchline.
3: <laughs> everybody knows who we are on the show.
1: <laughs> Howdy, stranger. Why don't you introduce yourself?
3: Hi, everybody. My name is Lauren McManaman. I am one of the senior developer advocates at ServiceNow. So, alongside the likes of Chuck Tomasi, Earl Duque, and Prada Bhagat.
1: Welcome to CJ and the Duke. We are so happy you're here.
3: I'm so happy to be here. I'm so flattered to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me.
2: Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. No, absolutely.
1: So I guess the first question is, how did you find service now?
3: Well, I think, honestly, I think like a a lot of people, it was almost kind of by happenstance, you know? So... Service now kind of came onto my plate in an interesting way. One of my first jobs out of college was for a major defense contractor. It was one of those entitled like dream positions that you're just really excited to get, but it wasn't that good of a match. Not only was the project kind of different from what I was anticipating, but there was some uh, weird safety concerns like in the area I was working in it just it just wasn't overall a good fit. So I was like desperately looking for a new job. i was I think I'd only been the defense contractor for a couple of weeks. I was like, this is not for me. so I was panic searching for a new job. There was this uh, car reinsurance company in Dallas, and they were looking for just general full stack developers. I got the interview. They were interviewing a couple other people. And I think I talked a little bit more about how comp sci applied to the business side more than the other applicants. And so basically the CIO of that company was my final interview. And he had said, well, we have this thing called service now. And currently only one guy is working on it and he's doing a great job, but he needs someone to bounce ideas off of someone to help him with projects and stuff. Would you be interested? And I said, to be honest, I've never heard of ServiceNow a day in my life, but will I get a job if I say yes? (laughs) (laughs) and he's like, well, you get the job either way, but that would be a great spot for you. I was like, okay, perfect. So I joined their ServiceNow team and it was headed up by this awesome guy named Ben Trong. So shout out to Ben, he's awesome. And he and I kind of worked alongside each other. I think it was around 6 to 8 months on service now. So he taught me the ropes. He was the one that kind of brought me into like knowledge and things like that. And then he actually kind of quickly left to join another company. So all of a sudden I went from this like new hire kind of right out of a college to someone that was leading a good portion of the ServiceNow trajectory at this this company. Wow <laughs> uh, which on paper was I think terrifying initially as well because I was you know he had set a, such a strong precedent and he had really positively turned the trajectory of ServiceNow in his tenure at this company. and so I, I there was very big shoes to fill and luckily it, it worked out pretty positively. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it it sounds like it did. One thing you said during that is that you talked about um, how uh, CompSci affects the business more than any of the other applicants, right? And that's, Mm. if anybody, anyone who's listening, following along with CJ and the Duke, everyone knows that that's kind of like my thing, right? It's it's talking about how technology helps the business and helps it grow, right? So the business can realize more value, right? Out of their technology investments and just more value in general. Talk a, a little bit more about how you came to be centered along those lines.
3: Well, it was something that I've always kind of been keenly aware of because I think in actuality, I'm probably more of a business oriented person than like a tech oriented person. I think it's very interesting to see how the addition of one piece of technology or or the removal right of one piece of technology can greatly transform the production and the orientation and overall even organization of a company. And I've loved seeing how that has played out. I love seeing how that played out in like case studies in college. That was always what really piqued my interest. And so ServiceNow, as I learned more about it, seemed to be a really interesting origin point between the two. Not only could I build, but I could build in a way that also allowed me the capacity to easily see the overall impact of what i was building right there's so many powerful like built-in analytics and reporting aspects of service now that you don't have to spend six to eight months building as well to see the overall impact of even simple applications so that was something that really really piqued my interest too
2: oh that's awesome i, I totally agree with you right like it's the, the impact of the platform is one of those things that is really hard to uh broadcast to folks right until they, until they actually see it
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: I hope that you're allowed to talk about this. If not, we can come up with
1: another question. But what was one of the coolest things that you built on the customer side?
3: Ooh. I think probably the thing I was most proud of, and I think it's probably something I'm most proud of to this day, was oh, there was one holiday season. So the owner of this company was very generous and he would always give every employee like a Christmas gift, which was very sweet. And one year he gave us all Fitbits. I was like, oh, I like that's such a cool gift. And like, we were all trying to be healthy. Like there was a bunch of like health challenges like that were being done in IT. I don't remember whose idea it was. So I definitely don't want to take credit for it. But someone had suggested a step, counting a thon right like oh who can get the most steps and we do it to some extent for charity because we had been giving these snippets so we kind of wanted to give back and so i, I was like i think we could track that on service now at the time i'm trying to remember i don't know how many custom maps we were dipping our toe into but it wasn't many and so i think when we mentioned ServiceNow as a like a governing body of this challenge it kind of raised like a couple of eyebrows like yeah sure okay but um, (laughs) luckily at the time they still had that in its old version the share website and someone had built a semi-working integration with fitbit and i was like oh perfect and so i fixed what wasn't working in that we got everyone hooked up and so we had this big tv that would show everyone's steps on the board. That's awesome. And that's what we ran the charity thing through. To be honest, I nuked our company's like productivity for the I think it was a two-week challenge because everyone would just go on breaks and start like walking around Because <laughs> <laughs> they were so competitive. Uh but all in all it was for charity. So I guess it was in the long run a good thing. <laughs> nice.
2: That is that's awesome.
3: <laughs> it was definitely fun.
2: So you built this fit challenge and you onboarding the rest of your colleagues. And so what made you decide to do it with ServiceNow versus anything else?
3: Well, I think it was ultimately the speed in which we could do things. The IT company at the customer I worked for was so amazingly productive, but they were almost kind of a victim of their own success. The backlog for what they wanted to do was so long because they were so good at, at creating stuff, right? And so that was something that we were almost unshackled from like on the ServiceNow team for the things that ServiceNow could do. Obviously, it can't do everything, but for the things that we could contribute to, we could do them at such a smaller time frame just because we were developing on a platform, right? We weren't having to build things full stack from the absolute ground up. And that helped tremendously as far as like a bargaining chip of why things should maybe go on the ServiceNow, even it was a non-typical use case for the platform to have.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. When I'm thinking, of, when I have new ideas, that's totally how I think about it as well. It's like, well, the ServiceNow platform has all this stuff already built into it. It's got email, it's got recording, it's got, you know, scripting platform. I already have the skill set, right? And it already applies there. You know, and REST integrations are easy. The whole nine yards, right? so it's like, yeah, of course, I'm going to look at ServiceNow first before I think about building something in like Node.js or whatever, or React or what have you. So yeah, no, that, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me.
1: So I'm kind of curious what a day in the life of looks like at ServiceNow. Do you still get to work on stuff? Do you still get to build on ServiceNow?
3: Well, it probably depends on the time of year. If you had asked me back in April, absolutely not, because that's only knowledge. (laughs) but I would say that most of the time, so currently I'm in the developer advocacy team. So basically our team contributes, it's mostly content focused at the moment. We're trying to expand into more like collaborative spaces and focus more on like community and things like that. But mostly we push out a lot of content, especially around the new releases. So currently we have our heads down a lot for Vancouver. So I would say a day in the life for me is that I usually start my work day at around like 7.30 or 8.00. I catch up on correspondence that I've gotten. I'm traditionally like very bad at getting through emails. (laughs) So I try to do it first thing in the morning. We usually have a couple of team catch-up calls. I would say probably like anywhere between one to three hours worth, depending on the day of the week per day. And then the remainder is kind of up to you. One thing I really like about this team is that you kind of run it like your own, uh, like micro- Company, I guess, micro brand. For example, I really love advocating Flow Designer. I think it's a grossly underused poor of the platform that I wish everyone used. So traditionally, I spend a lot of time learning about its newest functionality, creating videos or live streams for that, talking to the product side of the team about what I've said correctly, what I could include about future stuff, etc., and kind of guiding my content around that.
0: That's
1: no, I, I, I just had that aha moment about Flow Designer, like
3: right. Still, the, all,
1: the years are blending together, so I don't know if it was like two years ago, three years ago, or one year ago. Gah. But <laughs> there's a certain point I'm like, I I really wonder if Flow Designer is where we need it to be, and I just like picked it up, and it was hard to figure out at first, but then after it was like hours of catching up, right? It's like four hours later, and it's like, oh
3: yeah, absolutely. And, if and- I, gosh, I'm so tempted to spoil something because there's something coming out in Vancouver <laughs> that. I I really can't say it because we haven't done tech now, but I will say this as a teaser to get people on my side for Flow Designer, there is something that has been heavily requested for years that is included in Vancouver. And that's all I will say, but get excited for it. Oh, nice. first. Going down my <laughs> list here. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so funny you mentioned Flow Designer and your passion for it, right? Because uh, Robert and I have a mutual client that is running, I their entire I instance yeah. off of Flow Designer. Love right? To like, hear that. <laughs> yeah, they've replaced like any instance of scripting, so any business rules, any workflow, any integrations, APIs are running through Flow Designer. Like every single thing it- that. <laughs>
1: It shocked me how effectively it could replace business rules and scheduled jobs. You know what I mean? Just, right. Yeah. It's, not just, it's not just a replacement for legacy workflow. It's a replacement for so many other things. I do have a daydream though. And if you could just kind of like maybe, you know, if you ever see the product managers, just <laughs> maybe whisper. Oh, for into for sure. Them. Yeah. Now I know UI actions can basically use code to run flow, but it's not super clear and easy, but it would be really cool if there was one flow trigger action that was like a UI action has been pressed.
3: Ah, okay. I I will pass it along for sure. That's, hey, that's part of my job too. That's what I like about this position is that we work closely with the product team too. So I will pass that along.
1: Or even like script actions.
3: Yeah. Where it just looks for
1: an event, like a business rule based off an event. Like, why don't they do that in Flow Designer?
3: Oh, you're just making me want to spoil stuff, but I can't. I can't. I'll go (laughs) into so much trouble.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess you could though. Could you just do like a record create in the sys event table or something like that? and
3: I guess you could do it that way. But I understand sure, what you're saying though. You, you
1: want to build a workshop.
3: But there ahead. should be like I understand what you're saying though. Like it'd be nice because it's such a UI focused environment, right? If that was somehow yeah. more embedded into the UI, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the move towards kind of low code, no code, right? Like allowing folks to say, okay, click this button and then execute this thing, right? and You just pick it from a list. Like I think that would really help a lot of folks out, right? Like 100%. you know. Yeah, us old, old school folks, right? Like, we're always, like, no, I just <laughs> yeah, want to write yeah. code.
1: <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what I love about it too. Is I have a lot of like developer friends, and they're just like, why? Why? Like, I can just code it faster. <laughs> yes, but you can't give it to somebody who can't code after.
3: Oh, absolutely. Like, that's, I can give this flow designer argument. to like
1: almost anybody, right? Almost mm-hmm. anybody, and they'll be able to cobble it together.
3: That'll always be my biggest selling point when I hear, because I used to hear the argument, especially when I was on sales all the time. We can't use Flow Designer because I can code faster. And I said, yes, but if you print out your code, could your boss understand it or your boss's boss understand it? And nine times out of ten, the answer was maybe no. But if you print out a Flow Designer, it verbatim tells you what it's doing and you barely have to label anything. So it's a nice nice selling point. And there
1: literally is a competition in time there, right? Because you Mm. like... When I say I can code things faster, that means there's a monetary price to the time I'm saving. Yes. But what people don't forget, and we know that they forget, sorry, what people do forget, and we know they forget it because ain't nobody out there doing documentation at scale.
3: <laughs> is, is, what?
1: What
2: do
3: you think? developers developers don't, uh, don't uh, annotate and don't document? No, never. Uh, and <laughs> I don't put that
1: on the feet of developers either. I put it on the feet of the entire deployment team. From the yeah. most junior BA all the way up to the engagement manager. It's all their fault. Um, <laughs> but but it, there's a speed to inheritance. Not just a speed to deploy, but a speed to inheritance. So X amount mm-hmm. of times during a product's life, the people who are in charge of it will change. And how long is it going to take them to get it?
3: Absolutely. And Absolutely. can I just go
1: on a little tiny rant, a little tiny one?
3: It's your show. Go for all the random
1: It's just, just, if we just imagine if these things are placed in the types of workflow that everybody dreams it could be, life sciences, pharmaceutical manufacturing, manufacturing at all, right? Like that time to inheritance is going to matter because when the things fail, the failure is mm-hmm. going to be measured in lives lost, not time wasted, money
3: wasted. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I so, think it matters, right, in those situations because it's a lot easier to quantify the lost value of that inheritance that you were mentioning. So, yeah, like those situations I think are really, 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 really cool. Lauren, you mentioned, right, like your previous sales background. I want to t- touch on that a little bit. So tell me what it's like a day in the life of being on the sales side of things, right? Because, you know, a lot of our listeners are mostly on the dev side of things, right? The implementation, mm. execution, right? How How does all of this look through a sales lens?
3: It was really, really fun. I think I worked that job. I think if it wasn't five years, it was very nearly five years. So after I joined, so I, I worked with the customer, and then I was hired onto what was called Demo Center because I didn't have any sales experience, but I had lots of ServiceNow experience. So Demo Center was like a junior sales role, essentially, to learn the appropriate skills. So I did that for a year and then immediately joined our Creator Workflows specialist team as an SC. So I am I was the technical salesperson. No. So On the sales side, at least at ServiceNow, right? They'll take a technical salesperson and pair them with a traditional account executive or a regular salesperson. That person will control all of the aspects of like the contracts, the monetary aspects, the relationship management. They will more so own the account, which I really liked because I never would have to deal with contract negotiations or any of like the money things. I could just focus on the value of the product. So I essentially acted as The ambassador to the customer, to my salesperson, I would translate the needs of that customer to the products that would best fit them to solve their business problems or challenges or goals, and then align that with my team for what that would potentially cost or what they would potentially need to buy or not buy, you know? Like, hey, you already have this. Did you even know? And sometimes the answer would be like, we already bought that. You're like, yeah, like here's how you use it. It's great. So (laughs) that was more so my position, but it was only about creator workflows. So it was only about app engine. And building apps, which is very different than every other sales team at ServiceNow, because we have all these great products that are sold as like those suites, so like ITSM, CSM, and and uh, HR, and all those things. But those are essentially done applications or application right. suites. It's like the difference between selling homes and sp- and selling land, right? Right. I'm like, you can build whatever you want, and they go, "What can we build?" I'm like what do you want to build? And they go, I don't know what we want to build. So <laughs> learning how to handle those conversations was very, at least initially very difficult because I joined the Creator Workflows team when it started. So there was no precedent of right. how to handle those types of, of challenges.
2: The question that naturally pops in my head after hearing a lot of that, especially know your initial answers earlier in the podcast did you choose to like to land here was this like intentional from you to land because it feels like a really good fit for your skill set best based on how you described it earlier in the podcast right in terms of like articulating business value and aligning with it right like this seems exactly that except at, at scale for service now to a number of customers
3: yeah, I, I really just lucked out. I was cuz when I joined ServiceNow, there wasn't a creator workflow sales team. And I I remember thinking like that's a shame cuz we've built so many custom apps and when I went as a customer, when I went to knowledge, I thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to learn from all these companies that have that are 10 times, 100 times bigger than us. They'll of course be building crazy custom apps." And at the time, that was about 2016. It was kind of a shattering moment to realize that we were almost ahead of the curve. And I was like, how is that possible? And so when I joined ServiceNow in 2017, I was like, oh, I really wish there was a sales team that focused just on that aspect. And then I just lucked out because it was created the year I kind of finished up on Demo Center.
2: Nice. Tell us about the transition then from sales side into developer advocate and having worked with you on that side of the house, right? Like you bring this energy to it that I, that I absolutely love. So tell us how you moved from sales to, to over there.
3: Well, I think it was more so learning what I liked about sales. So as an SC, my job mostly was doing demos for individual customers, right? Someone would come in with a goal or a problem. I would translate that into some sort of demo and then they would, buy or not buy, right? Right. And I didn't really understand at the time, but a lot of the things that I was doing as like pet projects, like for example, I was trying to get better at public speaking. So I was speaking at any snug that would pop up. I was like, I got to get better at this. And so I was speaking at snugs, not traditionally an SC responsibility, but it was something I liked doing. As we participated in conferences, sometimes we would get subbed in to help with them. Again, not traditionally an SC job, But I realized how much I like them. And I think the more time I spent with customers and that I mean, developers, right? Right. The more I liked that audience. I think in sales, you're oftentimes speaking with leadership and it's extremely hyper competitive. And I think that I was fatiguing a bit of the pace of that and also, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of control over my, what was quote unquote, my success, right? That, and that is something that is a, a homogenous problem with being a solution consultant in general. You, as a solution consultant, your value comes from your ability to interpret the needs of the customer into the software, right? But, right. but overall, you're still always graded on the sales number, which traditionally you don't even have that much control over. Pretty much you prevent the sale from failing, right? Oh, I prove that this thing is valid for the customer, but I was never part of like the contract negotiation or the money, right? But that was predominantly how you're kind of graded. So I was always feeling like I never had as much control over my quote unquote success or fate as I would have liked to. And so when this job opened up, I was like, oh, my gosh, not only does it have more focus with the audience that I really enjoy, but I do have more control to live or die by my own sword. And it was just a a really a perfect fit.
2: Oh my God, I love that. There's a couple of things in there that you said that really resonate with me, right? Like one of those is how you said yes to taking some of these responsibilities that weren't typically in your sphere of expertise or responsibility, right? And speaking as snucks to better your public speaking skill set, right? Like one of the yeah. reasons that I do the podcast was to better my yeah. public speaking. And so I totally resonate with that. And then Acknowledge, right, a, a lot of what I was saying and this completely. I wasn't I should have gotten a check from this from ServiceNow, but I, I, I completely <laughs> didn't. Right. I was telling everyone say yes to everything. And it sounds you said yes to a lot of things. And that led you from a place where you were doing well. Right. And that you enjoy to being able to find what you would enjoy more and give you more control over your career and being able to jump there.
3: Yeah, and I think a lot of people thought it was because I kind of I Seinfelded it a bit because I, I I think it was either my last year as an SC or my penultimate year as an SC that I was the number one SC for the world as far as overall like attainment. Oh and, my god! And then <laughs> left. So I Seinfelded though. That's the perfect way to end it, right?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> you Seinfeld as a verb?
3: <laughs> yeah of course okay for
1: I the under 40, for the under 40 crowd can you can you explain what that means
3: oh to end it like your peak versus end when you've trailed off i think that's a really important thing right is to not let things spiral into a place where they're no longer positive right right um, so I, I was like i still feel like i'm doing well but it's maybe not the best matchup anymore so i should at least keep my eyes o- eyes and ears open
2: this is so funny. Like you, you're telling us right now that you've left us the number one SE in the world. And you're like, I'm still like, I still feel like I'm doing well. No, you were killing it.
3: <laughs> it really, ha- so there were, there were two deals in particular. It must've been 2020, not 2021. So it must've been 2020. And there were two deals that I had been working on for like years and my territory was changing. And so I asked my boss, I was like, well, if my territory changes and those deals close in like January, do I get credit for them? He's like, no. What And, and so I, I, my poor sales guy, I was like, you have to sell these deals. <laughs> I was like, you have to. I've been slamming away for them for three years. Just one of them, just one of them has to close. I don't care if it's both, just one. And then both did. So it was, it was kind of like a mini miracle that that happened. And then nice. our territory switched. So I was like, oh, whew. thank goodness.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is that is awesome. <laughs> did you have any like skills that you
1: learned in the SE side of things that have served you well? on the developer advocacy
3: side? I, I still remember my interview for the for ServiceNow very vividly because part of it was a demo. And so my the hiring manager had asked me, demo something that you've built on the platform. And so I demoed it as a developer. This does this and this does that. And this is cool. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool because I built it. And so I could tell he understood that I knew the platform very well, but overall the demo was pretty poor. And so he gave me some notes. He said, hey, how about you orient your demo more like a story from the person that's using it? And he's like, okay. I'm going to come back in. I'm going to come back in 10 minutes and you're going to do this interview again. And I was like, okay. Oh my God. Wow. So I start, <laughs> I start panicking, no, sure. <laughs> but he was kind enough to give me the opportunity to try again. Right. And so yeah. right. that was the first time I'd ever really thought about a story oriented presentation versus I think this is cool. So you think you should think this is cool. Right. Right. And I think that as an SC, honing that skill is one of the best things you can take away from it. And it's something that I still use to this day of the narrative of the demo or the narrative of the presentation because we're really story-oriented organisms. It's why books and TV and podcasts are like also consumables because usually they're oriented around storytelling and technology presentations should be no different. And I think learning that was most important.
1: I think it's a skill that everybody should learn at a certain point in their ServiceNow career. Like there's a threshold of attainment if you don't learn to tell that story, like an SE does. Yeah. Because it's just convincing people of larger scale ideas, right? Getting them to agree to the same worldview as you do. And it takes understanding their pain and it takes showcasing how their pain gets solved and in what degree, right? Yes, and getting them absolutely. to like getting it to say it back to you so they're like really selling to themselves if you're careful enough versus <laughs> you, you know what i mean you get them to sell it to themselves versus you do feature functions and it's like the, the, the peril of feature functions is they can disagree with you You're like i think absolutely. this is cool and they could be like i don't care
3: yeah <laughs> you know? right that, that's what my that's what the hiring manager was getting at it's like i understand you think this is cool but why should i think this is cool
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely um, it's funny, so I do therapy, right? Like I get therapy uh, with my yeah. guy once once a week, and I like to bring that into the podcast sometimes just to normalize it, right? So folks know that it's not something that you should shy away from. It's real kind of. You know, something I feel, I feel like everyone should do it because it helped me immensely, especially you know, when I lost my mom. But what I was talking about with my therapist just this past week was this, this entire thing, this narrative of storytelling and how it both impacts, you know, service now, my professional career, but also my, my political career. And it's two mm. things that I just took away from that conversation, right? Is one, empathy, being empathetic with your customer and understanding like how they perceive the world and what their problem is. And so that you can help solve it better. Right, because you can solve problems that you don't understand. Now, you don't have to agree with the problem, right? But you have to understand it in order to help solve it. And then the second thing is a lot of people say, I can't do sales. I can't do sales. Well, sales is really, I'll just make them think it's their idea. Once you understand the problem, once you know the solution, then you just got to make them think it's their solution. And then the problem's solved. Right? Absolutely. So I, just, yeah. so I just love all of that and I just want to kind of bring all of that together for folks listening because I know a lot of people are so intimidated by sales, but really mm. you learn to tell the story, you have empathy for your customer, right and then you convince them that they're just doing what they want to do anyway. And that's a good start.
3: Absolutely, and it's so funny that the word sales has such a bad stigma, right? Like I understand where it comes from. It comes from like, oh, like the car sales, like no, no shame a car salesman, but but you know what I mean, right? Of like, Absolutely. oh, they're just they're just trying to nickel and dime me. However, the art of selling isn't just necessary in a business sense, but it's also necessary from a career perspective of being able to advocate for your own skills and advocate for your own talents as well. Like it's, that's just selling too, you know?
1: And to some extent, I feel like selling is fundamental to life. The better, you can get better so many different things in life by learning how to sell.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: It's just a way of getting people to agree on a shared vision of the world. Right, yes. and getting them well,
3: to that's take a better some- way to put it. Yeah, we agree on a shared vision. Yeah, <laughs> I and, love and that.
1: for and for them to take action on it, right? It's yes. not just it's not just that we agree, but you are also going to agree to do this thing. And there's so many skills and disciplines in life that are like this. And if you say I'm bad at sales, it's like, okay, what are you going to do about it? Because if you tell me you're bad at sales, and you're not interested in sales. That means you're not interested in any other way you can better yourself that requires other people. Yeah. Hey,
2: like these nuggets i feel like are so incredibly useful for our knowledge right for our audience because there are so many in our audience who are either just starting out or they're developers who never really had to sell themselves or or feel uncomfortable doing so and i think just talking about in this way kind of unpacking it and destigmatizing it can be really helpful for folks
1: and there was a time when okay like i'm somewhere in the point of my ServiceNow career and oh i don't know how to do sales well there's a point you didn't know how to do service now either it's true. just a skill. You got to do the hard thing sometimes, right? Like when I found out I had diabetes, like how hard is it to go from schlubbing around in life to doing workouts three times a week? How hard is it to completely change a diet that you've been strapped to for the last 30 years? All that stuff is super difficult, but so what? You got to do it. Amen to
3: that.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, let's lighten it up a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> gosh, man, we had a lot of dark stuff in there. We had like mind dying and diabetes. <laughs> that's real oh. stuff. Yeah. that's sorry. <laughs> well, right. this, this is real. real, right? This life, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm just trying you not to know. cry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe with the last bit of the show is like the Lauren that nobody else
3: knows. Ooh, okay. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: So I heard something about anime. Like a, you're an anime person, or is it more of a, or a Japan culture thing in general?
3: I love anime. I think it's a Japan culture thing more in general, though. So originally, I minored in Mandarin Chinese in college and I took it in middle school and high school. Wow. But the opportunities to use Mandarin unless you are in China are not that high <laughs> at least in the United States, right? If you live in, actually right. if you live in Australia, there's like tons cuz it's there's tons of Mandarin speakers in other places, but not necessarily in the United States. And so with Not as many options to travel to China as I would have liked. I was wanting to pivot that, right? I'm like, I don't want all this to go to waste. And Japanese is close, right? So they use a type of character system that a lot of the traditional characters are derived from Chinese characters. So the grammar is different, the structure of the language is different. However, oftentimes the meanings of nouns and verbs, as far as the character is concerned, is the same. Like the way you write fish in Chinese is the same, right? You write fish in Japanese. So I was like, okay, that wouldn't be that hard of a jump, but I don't really know much about Japan. And so my friends and I went to Japan in 2018 and we loved it uh ironically i have been trying to go back to japan since 2018 and something has always come up for three years of which i think we know what that was but, Oh my god! And, and like i was supposed to go last year and then they weren't opening up and i was like come on let me back in but i do watch a lot of anime too because i was also trying to get better at the language i'm still very juvenile and i r- refuse to give y'all any so don't even ask <laughs> i'm looking to embarrass myself but it's been really fun yeah. okay so throw some
1: favorite titles out
3: Of anime, in particular. So I I hate shows that are too long. Like, people have been trying to get me to watch shows like One Piece for years. Mm -hmm. That show has over a thousand episodes. Oh, my God. Holy mackerel. That would take (laughs) me years. So I will recommend ones that are consumable and done. My favorite anime of all time is called Mob Psycho 100. It is three seasons, and it's already done. It is perfect. The animation style is unbelievable. I think there's about 12 episodes a season and they're only 30 minutes. So you can rip through it pretty fast. And it is just, it's a beautiful story. Beautiful story.
1: Yeah. I don't have a a big library to select from. I think I watched and enjoyed Princess Mononoke ages and ages and ages
3: ago. (laughs) I I mean, but I'd
1: probably like, I'd probably watch the animes that non anime fans are supposed to have heard about.
3: Yeah. That that, like Evangelion probably.
1: I knew of it but I missed that one. But as a kid I was just obsessed with Voltron. Um,
3: oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The two
1: different like But now even now as a grown up looking back and understanding the, like the business history of the Voltron brand in the US and how they got it from Japan and everything is just absolutely fascinating.
3: Oh, yeah. That's always what's so difficult. Even if you really like anime in the States, thank goodness for things, for like streaming platforms becoming popular because Mm -hmm. prior to that, I mean, to be honest, like the only way you could get it was, uh, you know, probably not the nicest legal way.
0: Because there's so much red
3: tape. Yeah, (laughs) because there's so much red tape with regards to the licensing of it. But now with like Crunchyroll and there's a couple other like High Dive, I think has them. There's all these great streaming platforms that have like all the titles. It's great.
1: Well, I've, I've also heard that manga is eating American comic producers' lunch these days. Oh, yeah. Like all the demand has shifted there all of a sudden.
3: Absolutely. Also, just the speed that they can put out, like chapters every week. And it's just like pages and pages and pages, like beautiful artwork. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do y'all do? Like pace of it, it seems unrelenting. Yeah.
2: yeah, see, I love this, right? Like because more competition ends up making better content. Right. And so and I'm not a consumer of either manga or anime very much, but I was very much a a Voltron fan. And
1: (laughs) Five Lions Voltron, right? The real Voltron. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: (laughs) And you know what I love is that just this stuff just popular, right? And what I love about the internet so much, right, is that you can find your thing or your people now because the entire world is connected right? That's
3: what's so nice. Like, even if you have a very niche interest, like there is a community for it somewhere. It might be on TikTok, it might be on YouTube, might be on Twitter, but there is a community for it. You just have to look.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I
1: also know... Oh, sorry.
2: Go ahead, Gordon. No, go ahead. Go, go, go. No, no, you're sure. Go ahead. I was going to say... I was gonna change topics, so keep going.
1: <laughs> uh, I was gonna change topics too, so I guess we'll okay. just Rock, rock paper scissors.
2: <laughs> All right, cool. One, so two, three, rock. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned like uh, you mentioned community, which is a great segue to you know developer MVP and advocacy, right? And community as a whole. And what I love about you know ServiceNow is that they really get community. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you know, and especially when you think about it from the perspective of this is a multi-billion-dollar business, right? And when I'm interacting in the community, I feel like ServiceNow is down the street. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I know people from across the world. And when I see them, like they know me. And it's like we haven't missed a beat. And all yeah. of that is facilitated by the ServiceNow community that this humongous brand is putting together. It's amazing.
3: It really Everybody feels like one of
1: us, right? Like, my friend Chuck just put out a new video.
3: Yeah. Right. Uh- <laughs> right. That means the world to me to hear you say that because that's exactly how I felt about the brand back in 2016 when I was still a customer. And so that's as we've grown dramatically since then. I look back to see what my employee number was and I realized that I'm one of the few people that has an employee number less than 10,000, right? I think we're over like the 30,000 now internally, Whoa right? Oh, wow. And so I've always been afraid at the breakneck speed that we're growing, I hope that's not something that's lost. So that means the world to me to hear you say that. I, I know that there's specific people at the company too that really fight for that like earl duque i would say on our team especially is like the number one advocate for keeping that community so close Mm. and those people are absolutely like invaluable to making sure this still feels like a community i gotta tell you
1: as somebody who did so many service now hackathons and at least watched hackathons i wasn't a part of earl knocked the hackathon out of the park this year at K twenty three. I'm gonna send him that, that soundbite. <laughs> super, super shout out to Earl on that one. A million uh, yeah. percent. Absolutely, Earl's
2: amazing.
3: And we made sure to have some people serenade you the whole time too. It was perfect, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the um, uh, karaoke, karaoke was right karaoke next door. It's
3: perfect, weird. right? <laughs> no one got annoyed by that. No one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it
1: probably is, because like... I didn't show up. <laughs>
2: Like, can you develop under pressure, right? That's part of the hackathon, <laughs>
3: absolutely. That's part of the first round. It's like a it's survivor challenge, right? That's yes. Like
1: little... <laughs> hey, listen at K13, they had a live band
3: during like, the hackathon,
1: yes, for the hackathon, oh not beside. The and I, they had every speaker,
3: no, like every
1: speaker in that whole convention that's space. Really rough, in there,
3: just like that's really
1: rough. You gotta build a business rule to do this. What <laughs> I said? You got to do a business role that does this. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: man, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lauren, if there was any parting words that you would give to folks listening to the show, any insight or anything that you'd like to share, what would you say?
3: Ooh, let me think about that for a moment.
1: I also, say it in Chinese.
0: <laughs> Man.
3: absolutely not I like I said I refuse until I get at least a, an iota better I will say because we've talked a lot about like community and advocacy both for others and yourself oftentimes people are afraid to put themselves out there especially on things like social media and stuff like that but and I, I mentioned this a little bit when I was talking to people at knowledge. The best thing that you can do is be an advocate for the successes that you have. I think a lot of times in life, like we wait for other people to speak on our behalf because we're afraid of appearing like overconfident or raggy or anything like that. I know I personally, I just had my like half year conversation with my boss and I was like, all right, what can I improve on? he's like, your confidence level. He's like, everyone thinks you're doing a good job, except you. So you need to work on that. And I think that's <laughs> advice a lot of people need to hear. So many people work so diligently and so hard and produce really awesome things. And sometimes people just don't know about them, right? There's a great book by Austin Cleon. It's called "Steal Like an Artist. And he talks about a lot of things that artists do to make themselves better at art. But there's a lot of applicable knowledge in there as well, just in general. And one thing he talks about is that documenting the process should be part of your process, right? Show you how you built this thing. Create a little snapshot of the improvements made. Throw it up on LinkedIn or Twitter. Because if anything, too, that documenting the process is helpful for you in the future. Therefore, you know like what you did, how it improved, Uh, what you have tried and maybe didn't work, but other people can learn from you too and learn from your successes. And I think being able to showcase that publicly is a great skill. I think that is something that we should all work to do. It's pretty cool.
2: I love that. Great advice. Absolutely amazing (laughs) advice.
3: It's advice I need to follow. So (laughs) that's why I mentioned it.
2: (laughs) It's, it's so hard for everyone right like this is amazing advice seriously listen to that and take it to heart because none of us really do stuff from promotion well like right? i think our culture is really kind of steered to not doing it right so.
1: yeah all right that's 45 minutes to record and we'd like to thank you again lauren for joining us on this show it's our pleasure to have you here
3: oh it's my pleasure to be here thank you all again for inviting me I, this is such a fun time thank you
2: oh my god it's amazing thank you so much
0: Hey yo, welcome to the winner's circle. Polish your crown. Here to optimize your workflow. That service now. This ain't your typical run-of-the-mill tech talk OGs. Oh we're the best in the field. We'll help you level up and build your credibility. Now let me ask you one question, who the realest be? Unapologetic, if we said it, then we meant it. Foundation built on trust, authentic, so it's cemented. Better make way, only facts in the booth. You're now tuned in with CJ and the Duke. Uh, What's success? I'll let you in on the scoop. Make your mind your best friend and fill it up with the truth. Come on. Yeah. Make your mind your best friend and fill it up with the truth. Yeah. CJ and the Duke. What's that? Huh? service now, come on, yeah, I said welcome to the Winner's Circle, yeah, yeah.